Hey, church, go ahead and have a seat. As Jenny was sharing with us, I, I think of Psalm 23, and she shared the words of um, King David as he wrote that. Some of us have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and uh, we need the truth of Jesus Christ to speak into our lives because I know this of the valley of the shadow of death. It's a, it's a frightening place. It's a frightening place for us to be as we feel darkness pressing in against the light. And even though we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we still, in those moments, when we watch those around us suffer and die, we feel the weight of the darkness of death pressing against the life. But Jesus has overcome it. And we're here to celebrate that today, and so we praise his mighty name. And I am so glad you were with us. I know on Sundays like this, it's this Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, the holiday season um, claims people, I don't want to say their lives because I'm not claiming they're dead, but it claims their Sunday morning attendance, and, uh, and that's, that, that's expected, and so it's okay. But as we stand here today... Um, we're going to be looking at a passage that is one that brings us a ton of hope. And, uh, and again, I'm really glad you are here. This unique Sunday, it feels like the Apostle Paul saying, I've, I'm forgetting what lies behind, and I'm straining forward to what lies ahead, and I'm pressing into that goal, that upward call of, um, of God in Christ Jesus. And, uh, and so that's where we are. Like, I don't know. It seems like if we were to rehearse, if we were to go back and listen to every Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, it would have some similar ring to it. And uh, because it's, that's where we are. I don't know about you, but it's what I do. I, I sit and I rehearse the last year. What are the things about last year that I can look to and I can see, okay, this was hard. The Lord used this to grow me spiritually. I should take this. I should use it in order to, to propel me into the new year and, and, and step further and further into what it means to be an ambassador um, of, of Jesus Christ to those that he brings into my life. And so, personally speaking, when I look back into 2019, we have a few days left, but when I look back into 2019, I have, there are many things that I have to celebrate. Number one, um, we have another grandchild was brought into this world. Her name is Lila. And uh, so Wendy and I, we celebrate that wonderful, wonderful experience in 2019. Also, um, the Lord brought us another wonderful daughter-in-law as, as Kara married Josh. And uh, so we celebrate those things. Personally speaking, they're wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. As it relates to the church, I want to say this. As I think about Charles and Jasper and I preaching, we were, maybe not so much Jasper as much as Charles and I, but we were, we're young, I'm old, we're young preachers. We're young at preaching. And I am so thankful for this church. I can't even tell you how encouraging it has been to receive those prayers, to receive those words of encouragement. It's been in a blessed experience being able to deliver the Word of God to you, this church. And so thank you. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to what the Lord is going to do through us and with us in the life of this church in the future. Something else we can celebrate is for the first time in eight years, we are going to be able to increase our budget because of the faithfulness of his church. Now, I know there are like three days left, and if you're hearing this right now, you're like, all right, well, if we've met budget, then I don't need to give. But hey, listen, that's between you and the Lord. That's absolutely between you and the Lord. But church, we have met budget. We are increasing budget. We are looking forward to what the Lord is going to do through the life of this church. And so I can celebrate those things. We should celebrate those things. And we are so thankful. Also, Psalm 133 is becoming a reality, is a reality in the life of this church because the Lord has commanded his blessing on this church, which is unity. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. That's where God has commanded his blessing. And I see it in this church. Praise God for that. What about you? When you look into 2019, what do you see? Do you see things to be celebrated? Do you see things that, that give you encouragement and momentum as you roll into the new year? 
Or are there things when you look back, you see and you wonder, you know what, I am so glad that's in the past. I'm ready to move forward on from that. I never want to face that again. Maybe, maybe there's unfinished business in 2019 that you really don't want to get after, but you know in 2020 the Lord is going to bring you to it face to face. Do you know what the most popular verse, according to you, version was for 2019? Now, millions and millions of people use you version. And so this is what they're saying is the most popular verse for 2019. I bet you know it. Philippians 4, 6. The Lord says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, you present your request to God, and then you let his peace, which passes all understanding, wash over you. 2019. Looking back. I wonder, all right, Lord, why did you place this sermon on my heart, this passage on my heart? And here's why I believe. First Thessalonians, we're going to look at it in just a little bit, but First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. The Lord is addressing some things in the life of the church of Thessalonica that they can't make sense of. And it's death. Losing people that are very dear to them. And so I said, Lord, hey, what do you want me to preach? This is a one-off Sunday. It's not part of a sermon series. What would you like me to preach on that day? And he starts bringing to mind quite a number of people in the life of our church that have lost people that are very, very dear to them in 2019. And we don't need to go far back into 2018 to think of even more. And so it seems that the Lord is saying, hey, hey, I want, I want to take some time on that Sunday, December 29th, and I want to bring some hope and some healing to the church. And so that's what I want you to pray about. Who have you lost? Someone close to you, maybe by sudden accident or illness. Maybe you've watched someone battle a disease for a long time, like cancer ALS or leukemia. Maybe you're a young mom and a young dad that lost a child with some unexplained illness or miscarriage. How have you responded to those losses is the big question for today. How do you respond to those? How have you responded to those? And I still look at it and I think, Todd, why are we even talking about this? This should be, hey, we just had Christmas, we celebrated the birth of Christ, and now we're, we're headed into a new year, we're going to have a party on New Year's Eve and celebrate that we made it through another year and the Lord has something new in store for us in 2018. 20, that's going backwards. A couple of weeks ago, I said August 12th, and I meant January 12th, and I was corrected. Um, but yes, as we, as we look into 2020, I believe this is where the Lord is taking, them, taking us. So, hope, 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 encouragement. What I hope you walk away with today are those two things. And so, there are three types of people that need to be paying attention today. And of those three types of people, you fall into at least one of the categories. And here's the first one. This is for you if you've recently or even 20 years ago, I've lost a loved one, and you're still wondering how you're supposed to deal with it. For those who have lost a loved one, second, maybe you have yet to lose someone. You don't know what it's like to have someone very close to you die. Well, this one's for you because here's what I know. Death comes to all of us unless Christ returns first. And so whether you have experienced it now or not, that, that valley of the shadow of death, whether you've experienced it or not, it's coming, and it will impact you. And maybe you're one of the ones that falls into the third category, and it's this. Maybe you yourself are afraid of your own death. Well, today's passage says it has answers for each one of those. Listen to what Christine Chappelle says. She's a writer for Desiring God. This is the way we should look at death, church. For the believer in Jesus Christ, death is not a doomsday, but it is a gateway. 
It's not something that we should look at with fear. And while grief and sadness come, it's not something that we should look at with fear. We should look at it with great expectation. Because it is our gateway from what we are experiencing here on this earth, in this flesh. Death and sickness and sin and the battles of the flesh. And we're ushered into the eternal presence of Jesus Christ. Your grief, church, when it comes, and it will, and it's okay to grieve. Paul's going to show us that in just a little bit. But your grief should be laced with hope. That Jesus and what he says would be your trust. That you would trust in him, that he would be the source of your hope. And then that you would look forward to that one day where we all experience that grand reunion. Where Christ returns. He restores all things. He brings the dead in Christ. Those who have gone before us. He brings them with him to meet us we experience that grand reunion that the Lord has promised is going to come someday. It's my hope that you get this today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 says this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And I hope today that you can walk away and you can shake your fist at death and say, you've got nothing on me because I have Jesus. Death is a great thief. It robs us of the peace and the joy that Jesus intends for us to have. But Jesus has made it right. And we have so much reason to be hopeful. And so as we enter into today's passage, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we recognize that It is because of sin that has come into this world. It is because of the choice of a man that has brought death. And Lord, I know for many of us, the valley of the shadow of death is a scary, scary place. I know for many, Lord, we have been there. And if we haven't, the day is coming, Lord, where we will experience it. And it's my hope and prayer today, Lord, that you would pour your spirit out on this church. Have your way in our church today, Lord. Bring hope and encouragement and peace to those, Lord, that are suffering now as, a, as, a loss, as they suffer through the loss of a loved one. Prepare us, Lord, for what you have for us in the future. Give us your words, Lord, to lead us into grief and through grief reminding us often, Lord, that you are the author and perfecter of life, that you have conquered death. We would ask, Lord, that you would pour your Holy Spirit out on this church now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you would please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Let's get into this. This is what Paul says to this church. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so if you wonder why we're after this passage today, here's why I believe the Lord has, has placed this on our hearts. Verse 18 says it, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The passage begins 
with a word of encouragement, and it ends with a word of encouragement. Take this and take the words that you're reading right now and encourage others with it. In verse 13, he says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve. You have no reason to grieve like those who are outside of Christ because he has brought us hope. That's why we're in this passage today. And so, I could, I could bring on stage right now a number of people that have walked through death and have experienced it. They've watched a close one in their family um, die, dear friend, die. I could bring them on stage and they could tell us their wonderful experiences the Lord has walked them through watching the, their loved one die. Whether it be sudden and unexpected, whether it's long-suffering, watching a loved one die of some uh, terminal illness, killed in a car accident, taken just like that. Pains are all different. There's the sharp, cutting pain that you receive in the instant. There's that, there's that slow and groaning and seemed never, seemed to never be satisfied pain that, is, that, that just seems to groan on and on. There's also those that could share stories of compound grief. I have a sister-in-law who lost her father at the age of 16. And then just a few years ago, she lost her mom. Her grief has been compounded. We could, we could bring people up onto the stage and they'll tell us all of their stories, but one thing is for sure. Our story, those who have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, will be insufficient to help you with your grief. It will be insufficient to help you with your grief. Here's why. Because your story of grief is your story of grief. It is unique. It is not matched. There is no other that will be like it. And so while my story might be helpful to yours or to you, it will not be complete. God's story is the complete story. God's story is the complete story, and it has unlimited and eternal ability and capacity to address your grief. So let's take a look at it. When I, read the, when I read verse 13, so if you would look at verse 13, when I read this verse, it brings a few questions that need to be answered before we go any further. And the first one is this, why in the world were the, was the Thessalonian church uninformed? And what was it they were uninformed about? And then what does Paul mean when he says that people have fallen asleep? Those who are asleep, that we would not grieve as others do who have no hope. Well, let's, let's take a look right now at the establishment of the church, and I believe that provides us an answer as to what they, why they were uninformed. And you don't need to turn there, but Acts chapter 17 records, um, Luke records the institution of the church in Thessalonica. And it begins with this. What's really amazing to me is we spent all this time um, in the book of Philippians starting in September until now. This is Paul's first stop after le- leaving Philippi is... Thessalonica. And so he comes in, as he does in every town, he finds the synagogue, and on three different Sundays, excuse me, on three different Sabbaths, he goes into the synagogue, and this is what he declares. This is what he declares. He says that he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. That's the message he communicated. That very message. Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ. He died and he rose again, and he is coming again. That's the message he declared. Three Sabbaths. And then the Jews got together, those that were jealous of Paul and his message, got together and decided they were going to cause trouble for him in this town. And so they did. And as a result of their trouble, Paul and Silas had to leave. And according to the passage, all we know right now is that this is the message that Paul declared to the church of Thessalonica. And so when I read in, the, in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians that they were uninformed, that they weren't sure what happened to people when they died, what I go with is, the reason they're uninformed is, as, as incredible as Paul was, he was there on three Sabbaths, 
the Jews stirred up the town, chased them out of town. They were there for a very short time, and we know that he proclaimed Christ. And so, the Thessalonian church was seeing Paul leave. They received the message of Jesus Christ. They gave their lives to him. Churches started, and they're living right now with full expectance that Jesus Christ is returning now. He is returning now. Well, if he's not here today, he's coming tomorrow. They had expectation, as much of the early church did, that Jesus Christ was returning now. And you know what? Even as I say that, that should be our approach to life with Jesus, that he is returning. He is coming, and he is coming now, and he is coming now. Man, wouldn't that change the way we live our lives? Living with expectance of Christ's return. And then they know Christ crucified, he is risen, and he is coming again. But they start watching over time people in their lives die. And they're wondering, they're wondering what happens to them. We thought Jesus was returning now and was going to take us all home to be with him in paradise, in heaven. But we're seeing people die. And that leaves them questioning. All right, we know Christ crucified, we know he's coming again, but what happens to those who are gone, that have died? Let's go with what we know. Christ is crucified. And that Jesus is coming again. And that he has answers for us about what happens to those that have gone before us. Uninformed. I believe that's why they were uninformed. Because Paul preached one message and then had to get out of town. So what does it mean when Paul says they they were asleep? But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. What does asleep mean? Well, simply put, if someone dies in our culture today, we say things like, yes, they have passed, or they have passed away. We don't very typically use the word died or dead. We find a softer way to declare this is what happened. And that's what Paul was doing. It was a common word used for those who had died, that they have fallen asleep. Even Jesus used it. And we can see that in John chapter 11, verses 11 to 14, where he's, he has um, come into town, or he's, de- he's describing to the disciples what is happening next. Uh, Lazarus had just died, and they were on their way that Jesus was going to awake him from his sleep. And this is what he says. After saying these things, he said to them, to the disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I will go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death. Fallen asleep, he had spoken of his death. But they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And so when we see asleep, Paul is referring to the death of those in the church of Thessalonica, not that they simply fell asleep. And here's something else that we need to address. There are those that believe when Paul says asleep, that it's some sort of soul sleep, that there is no, uh, there's no consciousness between the death of the individual and the return of Christ. That's not what that means. Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says, "'My desire is to depart and be with Christ.'" When I die, I depart and I am with Christ, consciously and in spirit with Christ until he restores me to my regenerated body when he comes again. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, he says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says it again. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body here, alive, and at home with the Lord. Absence from the body means presence with the Lord. So the teaching that there is no consciousness between death and the restoration of us to our bodies at Christ's return, that's not true. When we die, we go, and we are in conscious presence with the Lord. And so here's the rest. Paul is informing the uninformed. Why were the uninformed? Because apparently Paul didn't communicate what happened when you die. 
It's not soul sleep. It's death. And when we die, we are in conscious presence with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so here we go. Let's take a look at these words of encouragement for the grieving church, this church that was grieving in the loss of their loved ones. Here's the first one. Grieve, but let your grief be laced with hope. Paul is saying he is giving permission to grieve. He expects that it's going to come. Well, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do and have no hope. Grief is natural and it's expected. There are two, kind, two kinds of griefs here, grief here that Paul is talking about. There are those that grieve with hope and there are those that grieve without hope. Jesus knew both of those far better than we did. And I know I've shared with this with you before, but, but I have seen grief with hope. I've experienced grief with hope, and I have observed grief with no hope. And I've told you, I'm sure I've shared this with you before, uh, but my late wife, Andrea, as she was laying in a coma in a trauma unit in York, Pennsylvania, this was the experience. There was a moment, two or three weeks into her coma, where A young 18-year-old boy was brought in that had been shot in the head during a drug deal gone bad. And so as you would stand at the desk and you look at the dividing wall between Andrea's room and the room of this young man, there was grieving with hope knowing that this was not the end. This was not the end. And while her life was, was being taken away from her, We still knew it wasn't the end. That room was full of peace. It was full of hope. It was full of expectation while grieving, knowing that she likely wasn't going to make it. It was peace. And then as this room, this room, so clearly etched in my memory, is a family that knew they had lost their son and their nephew and their brother. As bedpans were flying around the room, as, as IV stands were being knocked over and walls punched and screaming and yelling and crying, completely different than what was being experienced in a room that was filled with the hope of Jesus Christ. They knew he was gone. No hope. No hope. Tormented. Jesus also knew far better than even we do what it's like to grieve with hope and what it's like to grieve without hope. We already already read um, his experience with Lazarus, with his disciples explaining to them that he needed to go and see Lazarus. We know the shortest verse of the Bible. Everyone has it memorized. John chapter 11, verse 35. It says Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He wept because he saw his friend Lazarus was dead. And yeah, we all know that he knew he was going to raise him from the dead, but he still experienced the grief of the loss of a friend. He also, he also was taking on the grief of family and friends as they were mourning the loss of their loved one. But he had hope because he knew that Lazarus was his. There's another case where we see Jesus mourning. Morning without hope in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 44. He drew near to the city and he wept over, the, over it. This is just before his crucifixion. And he says of his own, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that, were, that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and, and tear, down the, or tear down to the ground you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another. And this is why, because you didn't know me on the day of my visitation. Because you didn't know the time of your visitation. Jesus was looking over the city And he was knowing that his people were in this city. And they did not know him. And he grieved and wept over them because he knew there was no hope for them because they were not coming to him. Jesus knew what it was like to grieve with hope. 
He knew what it was like to grieve without hope. And so I have, I want to speak to some today. When when we talk about, we have reason to grieve, but with hope. I was sharing this with someone last week. And this individual said to me, all right, I understand. I understand that when we lose someone to death, if they are in Christ, that we will see them again. But what do you have to say to the one who really doesn't have hope? That they know the one that they have just lost did not have relationship, excuse me, relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, here's what I would say to you. Youth pastor back home in Pennsylvania. There was a kid in his youth group who committed suicide when he was in ninth grade. He was in the youth group, and Phil, the youth pastor, was sitting down with the parents, and the parents said to him, please tell us, was our son saved? Was he saved? Did he know Jesus? And this was Phil's answer. How would you have answered that? How would you bring hope in a time of hopelessness? Here was his answer. I don't know. When I hear those words come out of Phil's mouth talking about this young ninth ninth grader, here's what comes to my mind. And this is the hope. This is the hope that you latch onto with all your might. The thief on the cross only had a few minutes left in his life, and he cries out to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I will. We don't know what goes through the heart and the mind of an individual when they are taking their last breath. And so my encouragement to you, as you think you don't have any hope, you hold on to the hope that in their last breaths, they recognize the face of Jesus Christ and they gave their life to him. And then do this. We just sang about it. God is good. You press into the goodness of God. You hide in the goodness of God. You set your thoughts on the person of Jesus Christ, and you hope with all your might in accordance with what you believe he would have you hope. Second Peter chapter 3 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfilling his promises, some count slowness, but he is patient toward us, not wishing that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. He wants all to reach repentance. He is patient even to the last breath. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says this, that Jesus desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And so maybe you're asking, well, are all saved? And we know the answer is no, not all are saved but press into the goodness of God and remember the thief on the cross. For those of you who struggle to have hope, now, to those who actually have hope, you know your loved one has died in Christ. You know they are with Jesus in heaven right now, but you are struggling with, what do I do now that this person is gone? Pause for a second. This is really, really critical. Let's go back to those who think they don't have any hope, that they're not sure if their loved one died in Christ. You need to use this as an absolute and eternal motivation to get after sharing Jesus Christ with your family and your friends. I can't imagine, I can't imagine thinking of a family member dies apart from Christ. How much more can I not imagine if I have other family members standing apart from Jesus Christ use it as a motivation to share him with your lost family and friends? Pray your guts out fast for them. Now to those who know, you know the truth. You feel stuck in your grief, even though your loved one, you know your loved one is with Jesus. Words of encouragement for the grieving church. And so here we go. Let's move on to the second one. Trust in Jesus. He is the source of your hope. 
For since we believe, verse 14 and 15, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God, bring, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. You want to know where healing You want to know where hope comes from? This is where it comes from. Since we believe, Paul says, we believe this. Be sure in this. This is what we believe, that Jesus died and he rose again. And Jesus died and rose again, and that makes him the authority of life and in control over death. Listen to what he says in Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. He says to us, he says, fear not. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I died and behold. Since we believe, believe this, behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Death comes when Jesus says it's time to come. He is the one who is alive and he is in charge of every person's life when they both are born into this world and when they are taken out. He is the author of life and he is the defeater of death and he says when death comes. Healing begins when you humble yourself and you accept this truth. I'm about to tell you a story in just a few minutes about a woman who didn't begin her healing process until she humbled herself beneath the Lord and said, yes, Lord, you are in charge when life begins and when life ends. Healing begins when you humble yourself completely under the sovereign plan of God. Many question God when they experience death. It changes them. And it reveals, it reveals empty spots in their hearts. Hope comes when we stop focusing on the death of our loved one in the past, and we turn and we place our focus and our hope on the glorious experience that loved one is having right now in the presence of Jesus. Jesus decides when. So he says, yes, I know this is painful. I know the valley of the shadow of death is an awful place to be. But remember this, in your grief, you don't want them to return to you Because they're experiencing real, perfect relationship with Jesus Christ without this nasty flesh. Let's celebrate the truth of who they are. And then let us turn and not focus and be gripped by the death of our loved one and know that one day, one day, we're going to experience what they are experiencing. They should no longer come to us. That shouldn't be what we want. I miss them so terribly that I want them with me. No, that's wrong. What we should be thinking is, I, it's time for me to want to go to them. Don't focus on the pain. Focus on the promise of relationship with Jesus and eternity with him and our loved ones. They are already there in fellowship with Jesus. Forget the death of the past and focus on the life that is ahead. We will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And that pushes us into the third word of encouragement that Paul has for us. And this is what it is. Look forward to the promised grand reunion. Hey, think about Christmas. Think about Thanksgiving. Think about Easter. This is when your whole family gathers together. Now, can you say that your family reunions are grand? Could you use that to describe when your family gets together? I don't know of a family that can say that in its fullness. Matter of fact, I know there are some families that would say, I would rather not get together with my family because it's so hard. I'm actually looking forward to January 6th when the holidays are passed and we can fall back into our regular routines and we don't have to face the struggles and the challenges and the trials that, trials that exist in my family. Many say that about the time they spend or have to spend with their loved ones. 
their family. Well, listen to this. We're not preceding those that have died. They are already with Christ, but a grand reunion is coming. It is coming. It's going to be perfect in absolutely every possible and imaginable way that perfect can be perfect. Because this is what Paul says. Look at verse 16. Here we go. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That passage gives me chills because it says, yeah, you know what? There's pain in your past from losing loved ones. But there is the hope of eternity with Jesus Christ and our friends and family that have gone before us. I want to read it again. But as Paul declares this same truth to the Corinthian church, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put off and put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Pain is in the past, but hope is in the future. The grand reunion is fixed. And to it there is no end. We don't have to long for the holiday season to pass so we can get back into our normal routine because we can't stand to be with our family. This is going to be one where you will never ever, ever experience one ounce of pain or frustration or anger or anxiety because Jesus has made it perfect and that what, that's what he has promised for us and has in store for us. Revelation 21 says this, that on that day he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And on that day, we're going to look around. We're going to see Jesus. And this will be where we are. We will stand right behind Jesus and we're going to look around him and we're going to point our fingers at death and say, you have nothing on us anymore. Because Jesus has conquered death. And he has finished it when he returns. Uh, Church, we need to look forward to that day. We can grieve, and we must. We must grieve the loss of our loved ones, but we can grieve with hope when our trust is in Jesus, when our hope is on the glorious return of Christ, that grand and that great reunion day. So we're going to finish where we started. Words of encouragement for the grieving church. This brings us to our last one. We're told to share these words. Make your story his story. Remember, your story of grief is incomplete for anyone else. It is your unique story of grief. And while it is helpful to others, while it is helpful, it is incomplete. And so you must make your story his story. Therefore, verse 18 says, encourage one another with these words. His story of redemption and salvation must be your story of grief. I called my sister-in-law last week, and I said, well, let me introduce you to someone. There we go. Her name is Chanel. And she was my niece. And I know you heard my story, but I want to share with you another one. This is an example of someone taking her story and make it Jesus' story. 
I have never heard her tell her grief story from beginning to end. In 1998, Shelly, my sister-in-law, lost her six-year-old daughter in a car accident. She was riding with Chanel, riding with her great-grandmother, Shelly's grandmother. She was sitting in the back seat. Grandmother passes out, hits a tree. Two or three bushels of potatoes in the trunk hit the back seat and crush her between the seat and the seat belt. Took her life. It's six. It's six. And so I said, Shelly, talk to her on Thursday. I said, walk me through your grief from 1998 until now. Two years, 20 years, 20 years. I said, share with me. Early. It was near catastrophic to the soul. She struggled with depression, uncertainty, despair, self-blame. She didn't care about anything after Chanel's death. Parents, you can relate. She didn't care if she lived or she didn't care if she died. She replayed it over and over, questioning God about everything. She didn't even know how to pray. She trusted in the prayers of others. She didn't know if she was going to be able to make it through, and so she started praying, Lord, please come back now because I can't make it. Take me now because I can't make it. Her grief was consuming her, and it would. She still had hope, knowing that, knowing that Chanel was with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She needed, though, more and more and more for her grief to turn to hope. And so she wrestled over these, these feelings of darkness that continued to press into her. Questioning the Lord, month after month after month, leading up to a year. She says she was driving in her car one day, and so here we go. I can't get over it. As Shelley is laying out for me her testimony, she is preaching the sermon that I just delivered. She knew what it was like to grieve with hope. And in this moment, she was driving in her car, she realized, I need to turn my eyes and fix them on Jesus and stop thinking about the death of my lost and know that I am heading to be with her. Hope didn't start until she was driving in her car one day and God said to her, why do you think you're so special that this shouldn't happen to you? Because one of her questions is, Lord, why? And I think six billion people in this world And why did you have to take the life of my six-year-old daughter? Why? 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 Why didn't you choose someone else? You know what Jesus says to her? Why do you think you are so special that it shouldn't happen to you? Now, they sound like really, really harsh words for Jesus to say to someone. But in the moment of her grief, she needed something to bring her out of it. And Jesus said, you humble yourself before me, and you accept that I am the giver of life, and I am the one that takes it. Bless my name. Praise my name. And it was in that moment that healing and hope was restored to her like she didn't imagine possible. I want her back selfishly, but then what about... I long to be with her so badly, but can Chanel actually experience the fullness of the pleasure of being in relationship with Jesus without me? How crazy is that? But we think that. They're the kind of things that come when you experience grief like that. Here's what I believe. Chanel has just walked into the presence of Jesus as far as she's concerned, and her family is right on her heels because she is so consumed with what she's experiencing in the presence of Jesus. Her attention completely on Jesus. Shelley went from hopeless to hope as the Lord humbled her, set her perspective straight and right, You trust in me, you focus on me, you turn from death in the past, and you long to be with me and with Chanel. That's your future. Stop looking at the past, start looking into the future. 
Her attention was turned to that grand reunion that she would one day experience. She's no longer afraid of death. For those of you who are afraid to die, when you place your hope so fully in Jesus and what he is doing, there is no fear of death. I can relate to that. No fear of death, Shelley says. Bring it on. I'm ready. And now the Lord has given her this story that he has made. She has made his story her story. And she says, I had a choice in the moment where God said that, where Jesus said that to me. Trust in me. She said, I had, to choose, I had a choice to let it change me for the good or change me for the bad, and I decided to submit to Jesus. And here's what this should do for us. Take a look at how Charles Spurgeon says it. We're going to close with this. We see his smile of love even when others see nothing but the black hand of death smiting our best beloved. Man, church, we all have our best beloved. But when we have the right perspective and trust in God, permitting him to handle our grief with us and give us a hope, we see his smile of love even when others see nothing but the black hand of death smiting our best beloved. Remember, death is not a doomsday, but a gateway to the grand reunion. I don't know where you're at right now in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you have never even stepped into it. Well, you need to. You step into relationship with Jesus Christ. You're bow, you bow your knee to him and you let him take away any fear of death and what happens after. You, bring, you let him bring you into eternal relationship with him. And if you're still struggling with grief from the loss of a loved one, you turn your hope on Jesus. You patiently wait on him to walk you through and bring you to a place of hope. He will do it. Trust in him. Forget the death of the past and look forward to his return in the future. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your word is so magnificent. Thank you for conquering death. Lord, we know you are alive and what an amazing truth that is. And I pray that you would sink that deep into the hearts of each one right now. You are alive and you have the ability far beyond what we can imagine to bring hope and healing to the hearts of those who have lost. Pour your spirit out on our church, I pray. Bring us hope in Jesus' name.